learn about the strides female entrepreneurs of color are making. Be inspired by their story and enlightened by their leadership, insight, and advice. Welcome to Winners United. This is Season 7, Episode 12, entitled From Frustration to Invention with Rosalind Goodwin. I'm your host, Nicole Walker, and I believe that business, mindset, personal development, and self-care are the four pillars to entrepreneurial success. This is why Winners United is your one-stop shop for business, mindset, personal development, and self-care conversations with winning women of color entrepreneurs. Have you given Winners United a rating and a review yet? If not, please go to the show page on Apple Podcasts and do so right now. All you need to do is scroll to the bottom, click the five stars, then write a review. I'll be giving shout outs on future episodes to those that take time to write us a review. I greatly appreciate all your support. During this episode, you will hear about changing a problem into a business, stepping outside of your comfort zone, surrounding yourself with people that challenge and inspire you, creative ways to access capital for your business, and much more. But before we get into the episode, let me tell you more about Rosalind Goodwin. Rosalind is the co-founder of Confidence, which is a company that she started with her daughter, Gabby, who was seven years old at the time. Rosalind is committed to teaching her daughter that anything is possible when you believe. Rosalind and Gabby's barrette invention is now patented and sold online, as well as in retail stores such as Target. Rosalind and her daughter, Gabby, have been featured on numerous media outlets such as The Real, Forbes, Jet, and Black Enterprise, and those are only a few. Rosalind was also recognized as a 20 under 40 rising leader by the state, which is the newspaper for the state of South Carolina. Without further ado, here is From Frustration to Invention with Rosalind Goodwin. So, Rosalind, we're excited to talk to you today and to learn more about you and your journey. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So let's get started by you telling us about your professional background and what you currently do professionally. (laughs) All right. So my professional background is I've actually been in healthcare, healthcare administration, healthcare policy for over 25 years. I actually started very early with an apprenticeship at my local nursing home when I was 15 years old. So I have been in healthcare from nursing home administration to hospital administration to healthcare policy and politics with our state's governor. I live in South Carolina. I served as a policy advisor with him. And now I'm a lobbyist for all the hospitals in South Carolina. So that is my my day job gig. I am in the political, governmental affairs, healthcare arena. For the last six years, though, I have been building a business that started with a patented invention with my daughter, Gabby. 
That invention is Gabby Bowes. We started that business or launched the invention when she was seven, started the business when she was seven. She's now 13. Um, we've been in business now six years. Wow. 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 Yes. So I need to wait. Let me healthcare. So much need, you know, right. <laughs> Thank you for all you do. Right. Don't want to bypass that, but let's go into yeah. getting a patent and creating, you know, not only starting a business, but creating an invention, right? Like how did, how did that come about? Wow. So I was styling my daughter's hair with plastic barrettes. Like most of us, our hair was styled when we were little girls, bringing back that nostalgia right now. But my mom loved styling my hair in twists and braids and putting those barrettes at the ends, whether they were poodles or turtle doves or ribbons or whatever. So I loved styling my daughter's hair that way as well. And I think she was around five. I got really fed up because I would send her to, at that time, preschool and kindergarten, you know, 10 barrettes in. She'd come back with five (laughs) or four or six. And her hair would be all over the place, just a hot mess. I would even get pictures from her preschool teacher. They would send pictures throughout the day, you know, because they're they're so cute then. They want you to know what they're doing all day. So I'd spend 15, 20, 25 minutes styling Gabby's hair. She looked beautiful. Everything was all neat and all together with the plastic barrettes and the ribbon or some type of decorative barrette. I get a picture at 12 o'clock. Her hair is sticking out in the back, sticking out in the front. The barrettes are missing already. So I'm like, you know, what time did the barrettes disappear? So I was just (laughs) sick and tired of losing barrettes after spending so much time and buying them every two weeks. I mean, I was faithfully in somebody's beauty supply store buying more barrettes. And when I bought them, you know, I would buy, I don't know, like 300 at a time. And it was just, it was just something ridiculous. They were so cheap. You know, you buy them. So one Sunday afternoon, I went to go re-up on my supply of bad, cheap barrettes, came home and tried to sort them by color and realized that some of them didn't have a clasp on them to hold without her thick, beautiful, natural hair. And just got frustrated. You know how we blow off steam sometime right now is just on social media. So I got on Twitter and I was like, I'm sick of these cheap barrettes that won't stay in my daughter's hair. Has anybody found something that would stay in their daughter's hair? Let me know. I get off social media. I'm thinking I'm just blowing off steam. I get back on a few minutes later. All of these moms are in the comments. Like I stopped using them. I had to put rubber bands around them. You know, all of these types of comments. One comment, though, struck me was my pastor, who's a, a male, <laughs> jumped in this conversation with all these moms and was just like, you know, this sounds like a market you need to break into. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to break into anything. I told you already I had a career in healthcare. You know, at that time we had a newborn son. He wasn't newborn, but he was one, almost two, and still was not sleeping at night. He would sleep during the day. So I, my, my life was just completely filled and stressed. And I acknowledged what my pastor said, but I didn't really take it seriously. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll look into that. I'm going to try to But out of respect for the man of God, I'm like, okay, okay, pastor. All right, that sounds real good. Okay, I'll look into it. I wasn't looking into anything. Two weeks later, I'm styling Gabby's hair, and, but I can't get this exchange from social media out of my head. And I mumble under my breath. I didn't think I was audible. 
I was doing her hair and mad because I knew she was going to be missing half of those barrettes. And I must have said something like, somebody needs to make a barrette. Gabby, five years old, jumps out of her seat and says, mommy, are we going to make a barrette? <gasps> and I was like, I don't even know what I said. I said something that I figured would just kind of brush her off. And that would just be the end of the conversation. I drop Gabrielle off. I pick her up from school. The first thing she says to me when I pick her up is, mommy, when are we going to make my barrettes? I'm like, okay. I said something else to brush her off the next day. Mommy, when are my bows coming? Mommy, when are we going to make my bows? We walk through grocery stores and she said, mommy, are my bows going to be sold here? Wow. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) So my pastor couldn't get to me, (laughs) but divine intervention is now coming through my five-year-old. And I had always been taught to not speak fear and doubt Mm -hmm. and impossibility to my child. This is my only daughter, my first child. She came up with something. I didn't want to be the mom that'd be like, girl, ain't nobody can't afford that. I don't even know where to start with that. You don't start with that. You know, I grew up like that. I didn't want to perpetuate that with my daughter. I really wanted to teach her that nothing was impossible. Yes. And I said something to her. I remember when we were in the grocery store and she said that. And I said, you know, Gabby, if you believe and work hard, yes. And then I turned my head and I was like, oh my God, like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know where to start. I can't even draw. I mean, like, what are we going to do? So I honestly, I prayed. I said, you know, God, if there's something there, I mean, you're going to have to show it to me. This is not something I was planning on doing. Mm -hmm. And we would just sit down at the kitchen table and we did it for several months. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, I went to the store and we bought like every type of barrette you could find. I ordered barrettes online. I went online to try to see, okay, has anybody solved this problem already? And I realized that nobody had. Mm. And we just kind of got barrettes and we started experimenting. We said, okay, well, let's try this barrette and send her to school. And if anybody, any of them came back, like, okay, this one lasted a little better. Why do you think it lasted better? Why do you think it held on? And at the level of her comprehension at five years old, six years old, because it took us two years to develop this thing okay. before we launched when she was seven. You know, she'd say, well, maybe mommy's, maybe it's those little sticky things that's right here. Wow. The teeth. So, you know, we're just kind of doing like a science project. We sit down and I really thought it was a cute science project that I would teach her. You know, if you have an idea, you can follow through. My wildest, biggest dream was if we came up with an idea, we'd sell it to an existing company. I didn't come from entrepreneurship, didn't have any business owners in my family. I was raised, you go to school, you get a good job. And you worked that good job. So I had graduate degrees and I had a good job. And that's what I was planning on doing, just kind of advancing in my career through my good education and good jobs. So I didn't even think about starting anything. When we were unsuccessful, when we finally came up with the concept of the idea, we couldn't even draw it. I had to find somebody who could draw and I paid him to draw what was in our head. What was the concept? And the concept basically was something that had two faces. A pet peeve of my mom was always that when I styled Gabby's hair and put the you know standard barrette in, it would flip and you would just see mm-hmm. that ugly strip on the back. So I was like, man, one of the first things we're going to do, we're going to solve this problem is that regardless of how the hair twists and turns, you'll always see the design. So Gabby bows have two faces so you can always see the design regardless of how the hair moves. Mm-hmm. So the concept of two faces teeth and craters on the inside of each face to trap and gather the hair in the center strip where you can wrap the hair around and sandwich the hair. Okay. 
and that the hair is inside and it folds like a Z. It wasn't exactly this concept when we came up with it. It was more of a two-faced center strip in the middle. And that's what we had the person to draw. When we got connected to our engineers, though, who actually the big company we were trying to sell the idea to said no. But I told him, I said, listen, my daughter every day at that point still was asking me about it every day. I said, I can't go home and just tell her you said no. And we stopped. Can you help me finish the science project? Can you help me make one bow? He said, ma'am, do you understand how much it's going to cost? I said, I really don't. (laughs) But you don't understand how persistent my daughter is. And I want to show her that we finished the science project. Can you help me? He connected mm-hmm. us to manufacturers. Well, he connected us to engineers. Engineers connected us to manufacturers. We got the prototype made. We're still working with the same engineers and manufacturers today. But that concept, it all kind of started at our kitchen table and we solved the age-old problem of disappearing hair barrettes. Protected the idea first with my own efforts through provisional patents. I learned all about what that is. And and Gabby can school you on patents herself. Now at 13, she understands and can explain them better than anybody I've talked to. Uh, But eventually did hire an attorney to get our design patent and then our utility patent. So we have two patents on Gabby Bowes. And then we also have trademarks as well. Wow. Wow. I don't even know where to start. I'm like blown away. Right. Divine intervention. Yeah. I'm going to like just touch on that. Right. Like so many (laughs) women, like over these two and a half years that I've been interviewing, it's like we get something happens where we hear a message that tells us to do, but we don't want to listen. You know, I love that it ended up coming through your daughter. Oh my goodness. That like, I got chills when you told me that. Right. I believe that any mom that has a daughter can relate to this story. Well, woman of color, you know, like as far as with hair, you know, I don't know how it goes with, you know, I can't speak of what I don't know, but I know as far as that goes, right? Um, I do agree as far as like the one strip on the back, like it wasn't cute, right? And it does twist, right? So I love also how you don't take no for an answer, right? Like what is, you know, you would allow the fact that you don't know how to draw, stop you. <laughs> what if you would allow the fact that this man said it costs too much? Like, are you crazy? Stop you, right? Like where you wouldn't be sitting here, we wouldn't be talking, right? And you wouldn't have empowered your daughter to believe that anything is possible. I'm just, I'm blown away. We can end the interview now. No. <laughs> wow. So let's go back in time, right? Tell us what you wanted to be when you grew up. I wanted to be, and I was just talking to my husband about this. I wanted to be an ad exec, which is very strange. I'm from a very rural town Mm. in South Carolina, like 217 people, everybody can type of town. No stores, no traffic light. We got one blinking caution light, country, farm, the nearest stores, are 30 minutes away. The nearest mall is an hour away. So very, very, very rural type town. But my mom subscribed to Ebony and Jet. And I would faithfully read Jet in particular. And I would see these profiles of Black people who were ad executives. (laughs) And I don't know, it looked like they were enjoying their job. It looked like they were making money and it was beyond what I was seeing. You know, I, my mom was in education, so I did see a teacher. 
My dad worked at a mill. So I saw a lot of people working in manufacturing and plants. And I never thought, man, one day I'm going to have somebody manufacturing a product that I develop and patent. I never thought that way. So all I was raised around was, you know, everybody worked at a mill. They made things with cotton, clothes and rugs and, you know, those type things. Everybody worked it in the mills. But I, through Ebony and Jet, saw different types of careers and I gravitated to an advertising executive. I used to like take a notepad and make, create, like create commercials, which is just really amazing that now through our business, I have to come up with different marketing strategies. But I was exposed to that very early through a magazine and hopefully, you know, one day I'll be able to share that with some of the people connected to Ebony and Jet to tell them just how they inspired this country girl to dream beyond what she saw. Yes, I love that. Oh, my goodness. Because that was the first question that popped in my head. Like, <laughs> what gave you that idea? Right. But like yeah. you were exposed to it, though, even if it was a magazine, like we never know where we're going to pull inspiration. But I do believe like if you don't see it. How can you even conceive it, right? I love how you tied in exactly what I tie in. The purpose of this question is like, one way or another, everything that we experience or think of, it plays a part in the bigger picture, you know? So now look at what you're doing and what you want it to be when you grew up, right? It's tying together in some form or fashion. So thanks for sharing that. All right. So you talked about growing up in this small, small town, right? So, but tell us a little more about your upbringing as a child. So I'm one of five children. I'm what we call in the country the knee baby, which is the child that's next to the baby or the baby that's on the knee when the baby is born. (laughs) (laughs) A very close-knit family. Like I said, my mom was in education. She was the first one in her family to go to college and, you know, gave all that back and was such an advocate of education because of that and taught for 49 years. She taught she was uh, over adult education. She was an assistant principal, just heavily ingrained in the education system in our very small county. My dad, very smart, but you know, never had the means or anything to go to school and just really dedicated his life to working very hard, long hours, swing shifts to make sure that all of us were able to go to college. And he did that. Uh, all five of us had some type of advanced learning beyond high school because of his sacrifices. So very proud of them. They are still alive. I'm thankful that I still have them. And uh, they're still very active in their community, volunteering. They've always been very dedicated to community service. Um, My dad serves on county council. uh, So you see that political tie right there. And my mom has, you know, serves on a number of boards. So they've just always been people to give back, to love on people, to accept people, to help people get to the next level. And that really drives a lot of what I do personally and what our business does as well. Yes. I love that legacy. I love it. Right. Great examples. You talked about something that I want to touch on previously, right? Like you were taught to go to school, get a job, right? Because I can totally relate to that. Like no one, even though I did have entrepreneurs in my family, but for some reason, you know, my direct influence wasn't that and I never thought of it, right? So I'm just amazed, you know, at how all of that ends up playing out, right? Absolutely. I mean, and I understand it, you know, for my mom, that was the gateway. I mean, all she saw, you know, both of them grew up very poor, my mom and dad. 
and, you know, various situations, you know, for my mom, my mom's mom had her at 12 Oh wow! and then, you know, got just kind of flown away somewhere. So she was raised by a grandmother and, you know, so to them, I know, and particularly to my mom, education was the gateway into a better life. And for her to be the first person to go to college, that's what really made education key. I mean, that's what I grew up hearing. Education is key. Mm-hmm. Education mm-hmm. will take you, you know, places that, you know, you never could go before. So there was a lot of, I don't want to say pressure, but there was a lot of, you know, for her being the first one, like there was just, everybody was trying to support her. Everybody wanted her to do well. And, you know, because of that passion and love for education, she wanted to share that with other families and other children. That's why she chose education as a career. So yeah, of course, that's all I heard. Education is key. Education is, is key. So she wanted to make sure that we were able to get into whatever best schools that we could, even schools she couldn't be considered to go to mm. because of the, the color of her skin. And you know, she really believed that education was kind of that pathway and that gateway because so much of my family was not educated. And still today, I mean, outside of my mom and dad, you know, next door, I got cousins and aunts and uncles. They still, many of them still have not advanced beyond high school diplomas. Some didn't make it through high school. Uh, So she really saw the difference education made for our family because she went to college. And she, of course, wanted that for us, too. They just had not been exposed to entrepreneurship and business. Mm. And it seemed to be very risky. (laughs) And even when we launched into business entrepreneurship, it was just, you know, we could share just kind of carefully what we were doing because it still feels very scary and risky to her, even to this day. (laughs) And even when my husband now, he's a a full-time entrepreneur, he's a stand-up comedian, full-time stand-up comedian. We couldn't share that with them when he first made that decision. We sat on that for a little while because, okay, you married someone who's a political science major, got all these graduate degrees, and he's going to leave his job to do what? (laughs) (laughs) He's going to go tell jokes? (laughs) Are you serious? So we sat on that for a little while, but we knew that God was instructing us to go in and he's had an amazing career, has an amazing career, but... Yeah, and they, they weren't ready to hear that. Yeah. So we, we sat on that for a little while. <laughs> you know, again, gr- some great points, right? When I was listening to you talk about your family, I heard planted seeds yield a harvest, right? Like all of those planted seeds about education. And you're right, like it's all about exposure. If you don't know, then how are you going to influence that? And uh, entrepreneurship is risky, right? And we've been taught to play it safe. Right. So even going into that, and I do agree as far as just not being able to share your vision because people with that same, without that vision won't be able to relate and you can get a lot of naysayers. You can deter yourself. Right. So it's all about timing. That's right. So that was a great point to bring up as well. All right. So let's pivot. Right. Tell us about a pivotal point in your life and how it shaped who you are today. Pivotal point in my life, I think I have to go back to Gabby at five years old, insisting that we create a barrette (laughs) that wouldn't slip out of her hair. That changed the trajectory of my life, eventually changed the trajectory of my husband's life. I mean, at that time, you know, he was in 
inspired and, you know, someone had seen his work and he was encouraged to open up for someone, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I think we moved on that and supported her in her dream that it was even possible for him in his mind that, okay, I can do this full time in comedy. And our family just had not embraced entrepreneurship to that level. But it all started with our very persistent five-year-old daughter who had unadulterated faith, unadulterated belief that, you know, look, if I can come up with an idea, it could be in a store. (laughs) I mean, that was pivotal for me. And what started off is just trying to be determined to show her that nothing was impossible, helped to open our mind about possibilities. Uh, So I'm just really grateful that she kept asking us about it. Yeah, I love that. The, and the children shall lead us is what I heard. As yes. I was listening. You got me. <laughs> Look, when we finish, I'm going to go talk to my son because I'll be pushing. <laughs> <laughs> what are you holding on to? What you got some ideas? Right, because <laughs> like that, it is, right? Because I feel like at that age, they don't have the fear, you know, that, that no. we have accumulated over time, right? And they see things so much larger than what we see because we've allowed ourselves to be conditioned, right? So that's, don't overlook the kids, y'all. Don't overlook the kids. (laughs) I love that Rosalind wanted to show her daughter Gabby that anything is possible because that's exactly what podcasting has shown me. Before podcasting, I was stuck and not living life to my potential. If you're looking for a way to reach unimaginable possibilities, then you should become a podcaster. Send me an email at whenhersunited at gmail.com so we can talk more about it. And that's W-I-N-H-E-R-S-U-N-I-T-E-D at gmail.com. This older woman told me one time, and I had to listen to it a couple of times. I said, what does she mean? But she just said, they're not that far from heaven. Mm. And she just kept saying it. I said, you're right. I mean, like, they don't have all of the fear and the doubt and all the people that told them that they couldn't do something. And, you know, how are you going to do that? I remember I had a thought when I was in high school about going to law school. And I mentioned it to my principal. And, oh, why did I do that? I mean, he talked so much doubt. You know how long it's going to take you to go to law school? You know, it's hard. I heard it's hard. I heard you got to do a lot of reading. And it totally talked me out of my thought. And then years later, I'm in grad school and I'm in a health law class. And my professor was like, you should have been a healthcare attorney. Mm, wow. I was like, oh, man. Like, I can't believe my high school principal, like, talk, I let them talk me out of it. But it's so many. I got so many examples and stuff like that. I mean, even when we first came up with the concept of the idea, I sought after this woman who, in our city, you know, if you're a Black-owned business, like, she's the gatekeeper or something. Like, <laughs> you're supposed to talk to her. Like, she was over minority business type stuff and different offices and stuff. So I went through all kind of hoops to try to find her number. I finally get to her and I tell her what we're working on. And it's so, at an infancy stage, I shouldn't have been telling nobody nothing without making sure I was supposed to be talking to them. Mm. 
she pumped so much doubt and unbelief in my head. I mean, she was just like, you know, all those things that made in China. You don't know nobody in China. How you going to pay for that? You know, you got to get a mold. You know, you got to find somebody to draw. You know, you got to find somebody to manufacture. You know, how you going to do that? I mean, oh, and I got off the phone and I heard God so clearly. He's like, I didn't tell you to call her. Oh, wow. I did not tell you to call her. And I promise you, had I not called her, we probably would have launched the business in 2013 versus 2014 because it was so much stuff in my head that I just couldn't move forward. Like I was stuck for a while. I was like, if she thinks that this is crazy or she thinks that I'm crazy (laughs) or she doesn't see how I can do this, man, how can I do this? I had such high regard in my mind for her and we ran into her. It's amazing. I didn't see her all for like four years. It might have been five years. So we're at, this is so much information, no, <laughs> but I can't help it. it that, I, that was my follow-up question. <laughs> so we're at the Black, we're at the Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Summit in Charlotte. It's 2018. Gabby is a finalist for Teenpreneur of the Year, even though she is just 11. Mm. She's not a teenager yet. She's a finalist. We have a table set up. Gabby asked to run to the restroom. So I let her do that. So I'm at the table and I'm looking at something and I look up and it's her. It's the woman (laughs) who, gosh, I mean, at that time we were maybe five years old as a business. I talked to her when Gabby was five. So we had a conversation probably seven, eight years ago Mm. at that moment. I look up and she's just looking at me. Hmm. And I'm like, I have all this stuff in my head about, ooh, when I see her, I'm going to say, I'm going to, ooh, I ain't say nothing. <laughs> and I couldn't get any of the words out. She basically said, look, we had a, like a list of all of our bundles and we had the highest price bundle on the top. She just said, you know, get me that the highest, I'd like a highest price bundle. And I just put her order together and told her thank you. And she walked away. That was her apology. It was her apology. And then when Gabby came back, I told her, because she knows the story. I mean, I told her, you know, as she got old enough to understand, she never met the woman. And Gabby was like, oh my God, where is she? I'm like, I want to see her. I want to see her. I want to see one woman. <laughs> I said, no, you, you weren't supposed to see her. I wasn't supposed to say all the stuff I had in my head. <laughs> we were just supposed to have a, a transaction. She apologized the best way she knew how. We took her money. Apology accepted. And that's it. <laughs> but it was a great lesson to learn. And I'm sure she learned it too. Yeah. You, you got to be really careful who you're talking to about your ideas, about these things before you even allow them time to manifest, whether it's a business, a book, a new venture, a pivot, whatever it is. Like you need to be very strategic about who you're talking to. Cause I'm telling you, some of these folks can set you back six months or six years or set you back that you never move forward. Mm, mm. Yeah. So at that point, I just after that, I was okay, God, can I talk to this person? Can I talk to this person? Is it all right if I talk to them? <laughs> I, like, I like that. I'm not having random conversations with people with stuff that's on my heart because I know how detrimental it could be if I'm talking to the wrong person and sharing too much information. Yes, yes. As I was listening to you, I heard protect your vision, but you might have took it even further. 
yes. protect your heart, right? <sighs> so much, so much. Okay, let's, <laughs> I love it. So tell us what you're currently doing to improve yourself personally or professionally. Uh, so I have been part of a business mastermind for, I guess the last four or five years. It started off as coaching. Uh, so I really do believe that business owners, if you really do want to improve, you've got to invest in your improvement. Now, for everybody, it may not be a mastermind or a one-on-one coach. Maybe it's group coaching. Maybe it's books. Maybe it's a book club. But you've got to be doing something to grow. You know, you got to be doing something so you can challenge your thinking and you can be thinking something new mm. so you can get better. Uh, so I have always gravitated to, even if it was intimidating, being in groups where people challenged me and made me feel like I wasn't doing nothing. Mm-hmm. I need to be in uncomfortable situations like that. If the people you are around all make you feel like you the stuff, girl, you got it going on. Ain't nobody, can't nobody touch you. You are the stuff. Like you need to get around another group. You need to feel <laughs> uncomfortable on a regular basis. And you need to be able to get into your group and feel like, God, I ain't doing nothing. Like, they doing what? And it's not to compare and it's not to get down on yourself, but you need some type of iron sharpens iron. Iron is sharpening iron is sparks. It's flying. It's fire. It's sharp. It's uncomfortable. That's what happens when you're around people who challenge you. So it's nice to be around people who make you feel good. That's great. That should be a part of your time, but you need to also dedicate time to people who make you feel uncomfortable, who check you, who make you accountable, who you say, I'm going to do this next week. And then they're checking in on you next week that you do this. And then you got to justify why you didn't do it. Or you looking at the appointment like, oh God, I better hurry and get this done. Because <laughs> this person is <laughs> going to ask if I got this done this week. So, you know, accountability partners, business masterminds, one-on-one coaching. That is how I make sure I am constantly growing and improving myself. My business mastermind, Traffic Sales and Profit with Lamar Tyler, has all of those aspects in it, from accountability to book clubs to smaller teams, coaching, mindset coaching, which is so critical and so important. So much of our being stuck is because of our mindset. Mm -hmm. So counseling, you know, helping, you know, having someone else listen to you, talk to you and help you get out of your own way and get out of your own head. That's how Mm. I improve myself. Yes. I've been watching his seven day sales challenge and I'm like, okay, look, just, and just for something that's free. Right. So uh, (laughs) I'm like, all right, I'm challenged, but I do agree. Right. And even I would say, even if it, well, first I was thinking like-minded, right? Like you, it can't be necessarily your friends that have never thought about being an entrepreneur or don't even yeah. want to aspire to be, right? It has to be people that's in this space. So they understand, you know, how you feel and what you're going through. And for people that may not can afford it, find you some business besties, you know, and yeah. you guys challenge each other. Recently, I told one of my business besties what I wanted to do. Next thing you know, she was in my inbox. Like, did you do it? And I was like, why did I open my mouth to you? <laughs> <laughs> but I bet you that next week. I you to- need that though. Yes. Yes. It's so important. Thanks for sharing that. 
All right. So you sound very, very busy, right? Tell us what your morning routine looks like. My morning routine is that I'm up at five. I'm in the gym at 530. I'm usually home about 630. I will get some type of reading in then. Well, before, before I get home, I'm usually on some type of prayer call, particularly during the week with my church. And then I'll get home. I'll do some type of reading. And most of the time is, is almost all the time. I'll say most of the time is nonfiction. It's some type of self-improvement type book or the Bible or word, just something to build myself up before everybody else is up and before everybody else gets started and everybody else starts pulling on mama and wife and emails and business and, and all that type of stuff. So it is very critical for me to beat everybody up. I feel that particularly the physical activity part of it, I heard our forever first lady, Michelle Obama, say this one time that she said, exercise is really one of the only few things you can do for yourself, mm. like for real. Like you can say you're doing certain things that's self-care or whatever, but not really self-care you may be doing that to get a compliment or you may be doing it for somebody else to tell you that you did whatever but to really do something for yourself for your body it's physical activity and I was like wow I never thought about it like that but I know that if I get up and if I dedicate at least an hour a day to physical activity in some type of way whether it's spin you know, bike class, weight training, cardio, something. I feel like I get an extra hour of energy in my day. When I don't do it, I'm sluggish. I'm not focused. I'm tired. I'm irritable. So all of the stress release that comes through physical activity, like it's part of my MO. And, you know, it took me a while to get to this point. You know, why are you in the gym at 530? For a couple of reasons. It's just been a habit that I established even before, you know, quarantine and everything else. Of course, took a pause while my gym was trying to figure out what they were going to do, but they even require a mask while you're working out. So I felt comfortable being back in there. But it was, you know, beating everybody else up. It was the only time I knew I could do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not self-motivated when it comes to physical activity. So I'm not going to be the person that says, that. okay, yeah, I'm going to watch a tape at home and I'm going to get a workout in. Yeah, right. Not me. I need somebody yelling at me. I need an organized class. I need classmates who will check me and be like, where were you on my Facebook page? I didn't see you this morning. I ain't seen you in a week where you've been. Like, I need all of that in order to be active consistently. I need somebody yelling at me. I need accountability. That's just how I'm wired for physical activity. I'm just not (laughs) self-motivated. Other people are. I know myself. So that's what I have to do. And I realized that if I tried to try to do it in the afternoon, something else would always get in the way. My kids would need something. So I knew I needed to get it done before anybody else was up to need me. And that's that's my morning routine. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Yes. I know yourself and figure out what works for you, right? Like, you know, and that's what I love about this question. Like so many people give their different ideas, right? And to to me, it's to help other people you know, figure things out, right? Oh, okay, this sounds good. Let me try it. Oh, no, that's not for me. Let me try this. Oh, no, no, that's not for me. And then finally to figure out what's for you, right? But you need to know, you know, some options and maybe you can't think of them on your own. 
So you led into the next question. You talked about books, right? Tell us about the last book that you read or listened to. Uh, so the last one I completed again was E-Myth. I, I think it's the fundamental Bible for entrepreneurs. And, you know, it's all about, yeah, you may be talented at something. So you make really good cakes. So you start a business, but you don't understand business. You're just really good at making cakes. You don't understand that you need to go beyond in order to grow your business in order to scale. You cannot continue to just make cakes. Like you've got to shift your role into building a team and just getting your mindset ready to grow and to scale. So I love that book. You know, I, I highlighted, I still go back and reference it, but I, I went through it again just to read it. So I felt myself kind of getting stuck and, you know, not really building our team and, and delegating and, you know, letting, releasing and letting some duties go. You know, I found myself doing things that another team member should have been doing mm. because I had the wrong mindset about what my role should be mm. as an entrepreneur, as a founder. So that was the last one I completed right now. I'm reading uh, Fix This Next, uh, which is a really great book about what should you be focused on right now and the next thing for your business to help it grow. Okay. Thanks for that. Yes. It's okay to go back so that you can build up, right? To go further. All right. So you talked a lot about mindset, right? And the importance of mindset as far as being an entrepreneur. Do you practice personal affirmations to help with that? Yes. You know, part of that is just with my, my time in the word, my time in worship uh, that I do that, you know, certain scriptures are constantly meditate on or mutter as far as, you know, I can do all things through Christ. It gives me the strength. And that I guess is my form of affirmation or, or meditation. It usually comes through the word. Okay. All right. So we all experience struggles, right? We talked about mindset being one, but can you tell us about your toughest struggle that you had to overcome and how you overcame? I would say our toughest struggle that we have had to overcome and still to a degree, a challenge. And I don't think it's uncommon for any entrepreneur. It's just access to capital. Mm. You know, we started you know, the conversations I had with my bank, which I had thought, my, you know, my banker we was cool. Like, that's my girl. And, you know, I go and I talk to them about what's in our mind and what's in our dream. And they just kind of looking like, what? A dream of a seven-year-old? Like, you want us to give you how much money? Uh, so that was really a challenge because I really thought, okay, you don't see this? And, you know, most people don't. They want to see so much else backing it before they release those type of funds, even in the form of a loan to you. So, you know, we had to get really creative and I don't necessarily recommend this for everybody. You know, we had a product, we have a product based business that required engineers and prototypes and manufacturing and tooling and, you know, all those type things. I explained to my daughter very early. I said, you know, your business and your dad's business is very different your dad broke even the first time he got on stage. Like he didn't need anything. I mean, somebody handed him a microphone and he made money. I mean, it's like he didn't have to go through all this other stuff. You know, you got to kind of dig your way out of a hole with because we had so much upfront cost. 
but we had to go into retirement, pull money out, you know, accept the penalties, retirement loans, high interest credit cards, working capital loans. I mean, we listen, that's a whole nother podcast. I can tell you how to find some money. <laughs> now, all of it in great low interest money. But if you are determined to finance and fund something when nobody else is trying to help you, there are ways to do it. And we did it all. We are just getting to a point that where we're able to have conversations. We're about to actually close an SBA loan to help refinance some of that high interest mm. debt. But it took us years and it took us to be more established that banks and institutions would look at us and say, okay, yeah, we can, we can deal with you. We can, we can loan you this money at a lower rate. But we had to make the sacrifices ourselves first. Okay. And that was definitely a challenge. It continues to be a challenge. And like I said, I I know it's a challenge for any business, particularly product-based businesses. But, you know, the way we overcame it was just to get creative and to say, are you serious about this? Do you really want this to happen? If you really want it, you're not just going to sit and wait for people to give it to you. You're going to go out and get it whatever way you get it. Whether it's retirement, you know, whether it's, sales, you selling something to get money from it, if you really want it. And I do, I, we have people reach out to us all the time. Like, how did you find the money to, nobody's going to give you it for free. Like you don't have to make the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Parents reach out all the time. My child has this idea. How did you fund it? We funded it. <laughs> <laughs> Most banks will not give you idea that you, your coochie, woochie, woochie, little five-year-old little boy wants. Like, no, you got to make the sacrifice. You got to pull back bills. You got to cut off cable. You got to stop going to Starbucks. You got to stop getting your nails done every two weeks. You need maybe start doing your own hair. (laughs) All of those sacrifices we made to help our daughters come dream come true. Um, But I realized when we started talking to parents about that, they'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I I wasn't that serious about it. I don't even know if he that serious about it either. So never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I get it. Yeah. Right. How they say no sacrifice, no victory. And I think with any like, especially with entrepreneurship, they want to know that you're taking yourself seriously. Right. Like how seriously you take yourself lets them know whether or not they can take you seriously. So that's a great point. Yeah. That's a question they always ask. How much money have you invested in your business? No investor wants to invest in you. No bank wants to loan you money like nobody wants to get involved until they know how much you have personally invested. You have exhausted all means. You have asked your family and friends. And I know most of us don't have a rich uncle. I mean, Lord knows we didn't. So, but you know, they want to know that you asked your family and friends. They want to know that you personally have invested the money. They want to know all that before they give you anything. So you got to do your part first. Okay. Thanks for that. Do your part first. So tell us about an aha moment that you had lately and how you've changed as a result. Aha moment was when I saw myself or found myself filling orders. So we still fill everything in house, like literally in house. Like there was a room that used to be our living room or our dining room, you know, until we can find a building that's affordable. And that's just, that's where we are. We got three storage units, but we still fill orders in house. Aha moment was when I was spending hours filling orders, I'm like, wait a minute. Like you're a founder. Mm. You should not be filling orders. Like right now you are 
losing money. Mm. Like if you spent this much time thinking about the next marketing strategy or the next sale or the next challenge or how to grow and develop, or even just reading new concepts about how other business owners grew their business, that is worthy of founder salary Mm -hmm. in your mind. Mm -hmm. You are wasting time and money doing entry-level work in your business. And so many of us really do get stuck right there. We get nervous. We don't feel like, well, I can't hire anybody. I mean, that means that I'm going to have to be obligated to making so much money. But you've got to make that step. Like You've got to extend beyond yourself. You've got to, you know, going back to the email, you've got to build a team mm-hmm. in whatever way, whether it's contract, part-time, you know, do whatever you feel comfortable with. But you cannot be doing entry-level job work and wondering why your business is not growing and scaling. So, you know, I, I, it was an aha moment for me and the person we had or have who helps us with orders. I basically went to him. I said, we need more hours from you. I cannot be filling orders. Like we losing money when I'm filling orders. So if I got to bring you on full time, if I got to, whatever I got to do, you know, tell me how much you're making on your other job. I need to match it because I'm losing money. Mm. And that was a big, aha, big mindset shift for me to think that, okay, yeah, I'm about to hire somebody full time. Yes. I need to. I can't do that work anymore. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of uh, work on your business, not in your business, right? Yes. Like we get stuff working in our business. Oh, this is my baby. I know exactly how I want it. Or, you know. I know. <laughs> You know, I can't afford anymore. <laughs> like you said, right? Like your time is more valuable than that. So yeah, great point. Thanks for that. And you talking to me, like I just put up an ad for a virtual assistant. I'm like, I'm doing too much. <laughs> great. Yay, you. Yes, because it's serious, right? If you really want to go somewhere, if you don't want to go nowhere, then stick, try to do it all by yourself. But nobody, no large corporation, you know, or business has done it by themselves. Like it's just impossible. So how big do you want to be? You know, and that'll determine whether or not you need to That's let right. some things go. Right. Exactly. Yes. Thanks for that. All right. Yeah. So, so before we let you go, tell us about vacation, right? I feel like travel is enriching. It's necessary. Right. So tell us about, or tell us where you went for your last vacation Where's your favorite vacation place to go and where you'll be going next, whenever that next will be? (laughs) So our last family vacation was just last week. So every year, my parents and siblings and their children get together for a week in Hilton Head, which is in the state of South Carolina. It's a beautiful place. We usually, you know, rent big house and it's very loud. It's noisy. I mean, like I've got nephews and nieces, you know, I've got a sister, you know, so lots of different personalities. So it's never a dull moment in that house, but it is a wonderful tradition that we've established that our kids spend that time together. They really enjoy it. And they were really scared that we weren't going to be able to pull it off because of the pandemic, but we were masked. We all took tests before being there. We had not seen our parents since March. We were all, just, everything we did had been virtual or drop-offs at their house for things that they needed. So we were extra, extra careful. 
to still make that happen. So that was our last vacation as a family. My husband and I just did a quick getaway. Uh, my favorite getaways are those that are with my husband. So he, it's just maybe been about a year and a half, maybe two years now. He started instituting quarterly getaways and what those are for us. And I think it's doable and manageable for a number of people is somewhere within driving distance, usually within three to four hours. It's usually less than that. We go on a Sunday through Tuesday, kind of off days where it's cheaper and it works better for our schedules because he's usually off the road and I can maybe take a couple of days off. And, you know, we go there and we spend the time driving to get there. And every quarter we make sure we do something. And we've discovered so many wonderful gems that are just in our backyard, you know, or in the next state over. And those are my favorites. Those, I look forward to them. I tell you the first one, (laughs) it's hilarious. The first one we went on, he didn't tell me where we were going. And I'm so busy and just so driven and trying, I was trying to get something done before we left. And he made me get in the car and I was pouting like for the first hour. And then we approached where we were and I saw the trees. It's like, I melted. And I was like, oh my God, thank you, I needed this. <laughs> like I was mad with him like, like for the first hour, but as soon as we got there, I'm like, oh, thank you so much, I needed this. I didn't realize how much I needed to get away and just being away from the business, from the kids, from responsibility, from cooking or laundry or cleaning, that type of stuff. Like I need to do that to refresh. And for us, because we have two family-owned businesses, we have to get away because if you're not careful, your marriage will start looking like a business partnership. Mm. Like, who want to do that? <laughs> you know? So <laughs> like that ain't what we signed up for. We ain't trying to be business partners. You know, we're in this for life and we need to make sure our marriage is strengthened regardless of how old our children are, whether they're going to be in the house in a couple of years. I mean, you know, 10 years from now, my kids, we're not going to have, we're going to be empty nesters mm-hmm. and we're going to have them fall back on. Mm-hmm. So those are my favorite things. The next one, I'm not sure where it'll be. We just got back from Chateau Elan, which is one of one of my favorite spots outside of uh, Atlanta, Brazelton, Georgia. So hopefully our next quarter place, it'll be a great surprise. I don't know where we're going, but I'm excited that we're back to doing those in a safe way during the pandemic. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for sharing those gems, right? Because it is important to unplug and to work on your marriage. Yeah. Right? So that was extra. That yes. was an added, added bonus, guys. <laughs> Take it in. <laughs> All right. So before I let you go, do you have any events, offers? Tell the listeners where to find Gabby Bowles. I'm sure every mom, like we said, can relate to that. Where to find you on social media. Absolutely. Uh, so you can find our guaranteed non-slip barrettes at gabbybows.com. That's G-A-B-B-Y-B-O-W-S.com. Our brand has extended beyond the bows, though we introduced last year our own line of plant-based girls' natural hair care products. So we have a scalp pomade, which is a healthy, all-natural alternative to hair grease, which Going back to nostalgia, of course, we all used it, but we don't recognize that some of the chemicals in hair grease can actually suffocate our scalp. Mm. So we wanted to create an alternative for that. Uh, We have a moisturizing style cream combined with our detangling and conditioning milk 
that reduces detangling tears and time. Our moms call it liquid gold. Those three products help maintain moisture for days and take the drama and stress out of styling your daughter's hair. Uh, so we have solutions for you at GabbyBows.com from our barrettes to our styling products and other complimentary products, including a children's book that was written about Gabby's story to inspire your young lady to dream big, as well as an organizer caboodle to help you keep everything in place. So all that's at GabbyBows.com. You can follow us on all social media channels at GabbyBows. We are everywhere at Gabby Bowes. We'd love to connect with you there. You can find amazing bundles and deals at the website as well. Again, GabbyBowes.com. Thanks for that. And as I was listening, I have a six-year-old son who doesn't like getting his hair combed, right? So that sounds like some of those products could be for boys as well. Listen, my 10-year-old is that guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Refuses. Now he wants he wants a mohawk. He doesn't exactly. want a short haircut. So he wants a mohawk, but does not and was not liking combing his hair until we and we have the products in orange cream scent as well as unscented. So he uses the unscented detangling conditioning milk. That's the only way we're able to get him to touch his hair. He has his own bottle of our milk and he's able to pick his mohawk out. Uh, we have another customer. We love sharing the story. She used to hide her combs and all of the hair tools from her mom when it was time to get her hair done until the milk. Wow. Now she brings the milk and the combs to her mom when it's time to get her hair done. Uh, so she's had an amazing transformation. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. It was showing up drama in their house. She was hiding stuff, crying and screaming and all that type of stuff. Now she brings it right to her mom. So we've always been in the business of trying to make this time, because it's precious time. You know, this time you have with your daughter, with your girls, with your, even your boys, it's going to go by so fast. And we want our children to look back on this time and be like, wow, hair time was a time that I enjoyed. It's a time that we cherished. It was precious. So we want moms, dads, and girls to cherish this precious time together. We don't want them to look back on it and be like, man, my mom used to pop me in the head with a comb. Or, <laughs> man, my mom used to burn my, my ear with a hot comb. Like, those are some memories I have. <laughs> we want our daughters to cherish this precious time because we do spend a lot of time doing hair, and we want them to enjoy it. So we're really just trying to remove the stress from the process, whether it's you put barrettes in, they come back home. Whether you don't, you're not going through the detangling drama, whether you're not putting products in every day or every two days, like a lot of people are doing because they're not having good quality products that they're putting in the hair and the hair is dried out. So we're trying to make sure that you're not doing this too much. Like you shouldn't be styling your daughter's hair every day, every other day because it's dry. Put the right quality plant-based products in to maintain moisture for days. And then when you do the hair, make sure you know, you're using something that helps to reduce the detangling drama and stress. So that is what we've always been about. We're trying to create solutions and introduce solutions for families so they can precious, cherish this precious time together. Yes, it's all about solutions, yes. All right, well, thank you so much, Rosalind. I appreciate you just sharing with us, telling us so many great stories and I wish you a great day. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of When Hers United. I hope you found this information useful and can take at least one thing away to implement into your life. Go to winhersunited.com forward slash podcast to read the show notes for this episode and check out Rosalind's full bio. Also, don't forget to follow us on Clubhouse at When Hers United so you can join us in a future room. As always, be empowered and empower on.